Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and this is DCI number 145. In this episode, Brian and I are talking to Graham Stewart of Radiation Burn to talk about several of their game projects, including Dead Exit and the Cruiser Parallax. You can find more information about the games and links in the show notes to this episode on darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Uh, Graham, welcome to the Darkcast. Um, I, I don't know if people are going to hear what we were just talking about or not. It may be the secret special ending after the music fades away. Uh, we, we will have to see. Uh, so we need to reference it as many times as we can so we'll confuse <laughs> everybody. Um, but uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. A little bit tired, perhaps, but other than that, just making spaceships and crashing my computer. Hopefully, not during the interview. That you know, it's it's happened before. Um, <laughs> so not, nothing to be worried about. Again, you know, we get to edit out mistakes when we don't do it live. So, uh, but not all mistakes. Um, so we'll we'll do our best. Uh, but glad glad to have you on the show. And uh, you are here to. We're here to talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, you guys are coming out with a new game here pretty soon called Dead Exit, uh, which we're, we're definitely going to talk about. Uh, but uh, you're here as half of Radiant Burn. That, that's correct? Radiation Burn. Radiation yeah. Burn. Sorry. I wrote that down correctly, <laughs> and I just completely ignored what it's it, a stupid. It's written. a stupid name. It's, <laughs> it, it, it was actually one of those names that was a joke at the time because I used to work for a, plan, um, a company called Atomic Planet Entertainment, and they they were a company that it was trial by fire. They didn't try and focus on making really high quality games. They focused on making a product for the people who were paying them and getting them out quickly and just dealing with the problems as they come in and firing them out. Uh, so it was a very good place to to learn. Painful, okay. but it was good. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the uh, the games there. They made the uh, the Mega Man collection for PS2, uh, oh, yes. Xbox, and GameCube. That's, oh, I, yeah. I have, I, yeah, I've, got, that, I've got some so. stories about that one as well. Oh yeah. What <laughs> uh, a what amusing thing! Uh, the guys in America. I'm sure this is probably. All under some NDA somewhere, but no one can sue me because I'm not <laughs> not that involved as far as I know. Uh, but the guys in America, there was a discussion, and they wanted a particular thing. So I was actually doing character models for that. I was making 3D models of all the characters, and that was great. So the, the menu system, although in the end version, is nothing like that. In the original version, we had made a huge big 3D Mega Man system where all the characters were kind of in back to tubes so I was making all these little characters for the PS2 version and putting them in the back to tubes and it was all, looked all great and the American guys were over the moon with this and they loved it but then at one point they went over and talked to the Japanese and the Japanese hadn't been in contact with them at all they hadn't heard anything and it was just a simple no, no <laughs> don't like it so all that works just in the bin Allegedly, it was something to do with it. They didn't like the idea that maybe there's something wrong with Mega Man if he's in a back to tube. Maybe he's ill or he's dead or something. Mm. It doesn't matter. He's a robot. But yeah, it's just one of those things where there's no communication. It's hilarious. Sure. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that seems like an odd thing to be upset over. But um, 
you know, I, I guess they're, they're, they're calling the shots. Uh, Atomic uh, Planet also made such gems as the Guy game, I see, or at least ported that to the PS2. Yeah, it was a port. We ported that. And uh, my, my task on that was uh, to make uh, very, very compressed textured boobies. I was brought onto that that project, I wasn't on it for most of the time, which is a common thing for me. My job, my one of my unofficial titles was Jizz Mopper. <laughs> <laughs> you can work out basically there was a few of us who were brought on at various points in the project to solve problems. Okay. And for me, it was design and technical art problems. I was brought on and usually worked with one of the coders and, and we'd solve a technical problem. But yeah, so that's that's where the term Jizz Mopper came, came up from. There was a mess it needed cleaned up. But yeah. The PS2 couldn't handle the full compression of the pictures that were in the guy game of the lovely ladies that had volunteered for this. So not not the videos, but the actual models that were part of the game. So we had a load of pictures, and we just couldn't get them to run on the PS2, so I had to use various odd compression techniques to, to squish those boobies down to appropriate size that they could fit <laughs> through the pipeline. <laughs> But you were you were a man of many talents. Uh, previously, we're talking about cocks flying in the face at 200 miles an hour. <laughs> now you're squishing boobies down. That's this is amazing. High life. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you're passing over the fact that the, his nickname was the Jizz Mopper. I mean, this, this, yeah, I did this not is even really that. going badly. That's that is true. That is that is true. That wasn't a nickname. That was a title, an unofficial title. Several <laughs> oh, of us okay. had it. You know, if you could put that on a business card. That's fine. Yeah, I'm sure somebody has that on their business card somewhere. Um, they're either very ashamed of it or very proud of it, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a little bit of both. Or a little bit of both. That's probably true. That is that is probably very true. <laughs> so, uh, did did you go from? Uh, Atomic Planet uh, to kind of your own thing with Radiation Burn, or was there anything Not in between? straight away, actually. What we did first was um, I did some consulting work, kind of unintentionally, that people had worked with before, because I, I took voluntary redundancy because there wasn't much for me to do, and that was just being a drain on the company if they could kept paying me. So I took voluntary redundancy and then started learning to code at that point. And... I was doing consulting work because people who had worked with in the past went, oh, he's available, let's get him to come and mop some more jizz. And uh, so that's what it was. People would actually just find me and say, okay, come and do some work for various people. Uh, so I was doing consulting work, which was fantastically well paid, but soul-destroying because they, they never listen to you. You solve the problem generally, and then they go, great, that's it, we'll work on that. And then they go and talk to some guy who isn't a technical person and goes, wouldn't it be cool if we did this instead? So you get paid and you don't get blamed, which is nice. Sure, that's <laughs> very, very, very upsetting. If you get too attached to the games that you're working on, uh, I mean, you're probably quite passionate about games yourself, being doing this. But yeah, you get attached to what you're creating, and then someone comes along and makes something that you regard as idiotic. They might think it's a great idea for some business reason, but it's just no, just not going to work out at all. And, and any of those idiotic things that you can talk about that aren't under like NDA or something. Oh, well, I got in trouble for one of them, so I shouldn't say okay. too much about it. Um, <laughs> we don't there was, want to get in trouble, so that's... Yeah. There was Leave a that up to your discretion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> certain game about a particular man who is in a blue box uh, and perhaps travels through time and space. Uh, okay. 
and there was a there was a budget for the game, and I'd planned out and actually built out the levels for what they had to play through, and signed it uh, specifically as a third person game because there was no way that the art assets could be detailed enough and be done in time to be nice enough for it to be a first person game. But some person don't know who it was because there are there are six degrees of sign off with the company involved, which is a lot. So you ask a question, and two weeks later you get an answer. But someone at some point decided, after I'd finished the project, that they were going to change it and make it first person because on the Wii they wanted to sell some grips that kind of looked like a device that this person used that might not be a hammer and may involve sound. If you can work that all out. I have said nothing. Incriminating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a puzzle for people to work out. What's going on that there. is, yeah. that is. We will we'll leave that up to the the <laughs> listeners to uh, discern and, and decide. Um, but kind of, where did you go from there? Yeah, from there with a friend, um, I basically said, "Hey, um, Microsoft are doing this competition in with Old Spice, uh, which is a, a strange combination, but that's what Hello. they're doing. I don't know You've if you ever selected. heard of the the Dream Build Play competition." It was a, an X and A based competition, uh, where basically a bunch of people would go in and uh, try and do that. So on the side, um, I was pretty much finished the, the contract work at the time, uh, and I said, "Head to him, hey, do you want to just enter this for fun? We'll make a game and put it out there." Um, and so we did that, and it was called Newton versus the Horde, which was a daft little physics game where you had to kill the smelly monsters that kind of they were just like black blobby people that walked in with spiky heads, and you threw old space at them and lit up the place with nice fresh smells and destroyed them all and that that was what we entered in and we found out after the competition was unfortunately it was unfortunately winner takes all um, and then we got into the finals of that because the finalists there was a panel that I think it was five judges uh, and they said okay these guys are the finalists for this competition and I was like oh yeah cool um, well we can get all our friends and stuff to vote for our game and then we found out that the only voting was only open to people in America and Canada so we couldn't contact anyone so, uh, so no one can vote for our game but luckily apparently our game was the most fun so people voted for that uh, and we got 60,000 for winning that and that's what we used to start our company Wow, hey, that is awesome. <laughs> it was a good start, but then we made the mistake of listening to lots of experts about what we should do in business. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> things, things went horribly, horribly well. They didn't really. They, they've been plodded along, and doing our own stuff was too difficult, and we expanded as a business, and we're doing lots of contract work as a business. Uh, and then my partner decided that he just didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't mind doing the contract work, but he didn't want to run other people. So we had about 10 people, 8 to 10 people at that point. And he said, oh, he decided, I mean, we're still in very good terms. He's a great guy. Um, so, but he'd said he didn't want to do that anymore. And I was like, okay, because he had, he had been completely open with me that there were problems and how he was feeling about it. And it was taking too much of his time. And he didn't like managing other people. Uh, and I was in China at the time when he actually said, hey, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I want to go away. And at that point, we were kind of supposed to shut the company down. Uh, but we'd set it up in a way that it was... It was made of modules, actually. There were three parts to it. So he took the part that did the contract work, which is called GoGo Robot. Uh, and he does, he still does that quite happily, just does contracts for the BBC and various other people quite happily, uh, but on his own with no one, no one else to worry about. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I want to start small again, and, but I don't really want to do lots of contract work. So um, Chantel was one of the coders there, and I haven't thought about which coder 
would want to. But then one of the other guys, he moved down to London, so it came to a choice that Chantal was the best coder there. So I asked her if she wanted to just keep making games, and she was like, yeah, why not? Nothing better to do with her time. <laughs> <laughs> so she's, she's had to put up with me for the next three three years as we've made all sorts of nonsense. That is that is the way to start a business. That's 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 pretty awesome, right there. Um, now, before, um, how, how did you get kind of into the industry? Was uh, Atomic oh. Planet your your first gig? Atomic Planet, how did was, you... yeah, it was. I was offered two jobs at once, actually. Um, I was offered one with uh, we were no Rockstar. I'm trying to remember what they were called before Rockstar. I mean, obviously, that would have been the better job to take, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be fair, I learned a lot more at Atomic Planet. I mean, it's not a big company with lots of things. It's not the company that most people go, oh, you work for them? Oh, they made GTA. Oh, what GTA? So, because most people, you know, most people ask you, what have you made? And if it's not Call of Duty or GTA, it's just their, their eyes glaze over, because obviously very few people have heard of most indie games. Sure. Get, get the odd person who recognises, uh, especially the Living Dungeon, because uh, that's got some real diehard fans. Not many, but it's got some real diehard fans. Our biggest problem is getting the people who would really enjoy it to know it exists, as always with most indie. Sure. And but yeah, I started with, uh, yeah, I took the job at Todd Planet. Well, I didn't take the job so much as it was given to me. Um, I went for the interview, and as an artist, and told them that I didn't want to be an artist, and they still gave me the job. Let's say, like, in okay. the interview, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's <laughs> like I said, like, like, listen, you're applying for this position, but uh, this is, look, I'm not going to do this. Oh, no, no, I did it. I did the job. I did what I was told. I just told them right away that I'm a designer. I learned to do art to facilitate being a designer because I didn't want to go in through the QA route because that's what most designers go in through the QA route, and most of them don't necessarily know anything about design and design principles. And uh, I constantly go down to the university and want to strangle some of the design students because they're very, very simple things that they don't understand about design that they really should, and they're not taught those, and it, it breaks my heart. Hmm. Any, those, anything in particular? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, for example, simple, simple probability, asking them, like, what are the odds of rolling two sixes on two dice, on two d6, mm-hmm. uh, and they just don't know. Okay. It's it's pretty sad, but that's a big. I mean, if you're designing anything, if you look at something very simple um, in terms of concept of probability, and um, like World of Warcraft, a lot of the drops, for example, are built on probability. So you'll know, on average, as a diner, how long it would take someone to achieve a particular goal. Obviously, they might get it on the first attempt if it's a one in one thousand drop, but chances are, on average, it's going to take them say several hours because you know the length of time it takes to kill one of these monsters, the length of time it takes approximately to kill 100 of these monsters, and then you can calculate how long the player is going to be engaged in a particular quest if they have to get three, I don't know, giant warthog foreskins, whatever it is that that particular <laughs> orc needs at the time. But that, that is a basic example of something that you wouldn't think, I mean, most people when they think of designers, they, they think of someone who's going, oh, it'd be cool if you do this, this would be a cool feature, shove that in. And it, for me, that's not really what it's about. There are some designers who that's that's all they do, and there are other designers who are big into GUI and the visual side of things, I mean, artist, artistic designers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it's always been the mechanics of how the game actually functions as a game, 
Um, and effectively, it, that's an area that I'm good at, and there's other areas like, like polish I'm not so good at. Uh, so I usually leave that to other people. Like Chantel will come along and say, that looks terrible. So I'll be saying, yeah, yeah it's entirely functional. So, yeah, yeah, but it looks terrible. No one knows what's going on. I'm like, okay, explaining, <laughs> explaining to people how something works is, is not so good for me. But uh, putting a system together, that, I can do that very easily inside my head, but making it presentable to someone else, not so good at that. Mm-hmm. But that, that's the same with everyone. You, you learn what you can do and things you're terrible at. And I know I'm good at mechanics. I'm terrible at, say, PR, <laughs> doing marketing. <laughs> not good at that whatsoever. Need, need all the help I can get. Awesome. Oh, where were we? Uh, so we were just talking about kind of getting into the industry, and you um, started as an artist, but you had, uh, I guess, studied yeah. as a designer, and you learned I had, art. Yeah, I studied as a designer. Uh, okay. A lot of it was, was self-taught, but it okay. wasn't university. I did the, the course at university, and I got my BA in, in games design, specifically from TSEC, because that's one of the ones they do. Uh, yeah, and I went in, and I was told very politely by the lead artist, uh, the art director, he said, no, you'll never be a designer, you're too good of an artist now. I thought, I should have tried so hard. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully there was one of those special emergencies uh, where I got to do some jizz mopping. (laughs) So I got to jump onto the design track for that and solve the problem with the client uh, over a weekend, learning to use the tools and putting it all together and, and made the game entirely passable. Not good, but it was it was releasable instead of terrible. Uh, that was that was kind of what my job was. It, to be fair, it was enjoyable, and some of the tools that the coder guys put in were great. But obviously, there was never enough time to make it really nice and polished and high budget as you'd like it to be. Um, that was that was Miami Vice, um, the original. Okay. Uh, and was uh, that was that based on the the movie that came out in the mid two thousands, or was that it was something well, else? Well, because it was. A fairly budget game. It was around at the time, but it was based on the TV show, and they'd done a weird thing where they had got the face rights to the lookalikes of the actors to, to put in the game. Right, <laughs> right. And the, and so the producer, like, like you had a Don Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it was a Don Johnson lookalike, and we fantastic. had the face rights. <laughs> Well, they're okay, and I ended. I'd modelled just. I did everyone except Don Johnson actually. All the other characters I modelled about fifty odd characters because it's so easy on PS2, even back with the tools back then, because the characters were about two thousand polygons each, mm-hmm. and the textures were. It was just a diffuse map. You didn't have all the PBR stuff that you do now. Although PBR has made things slightly easier, um, but yeah, I could just turn out characters. So I ended up turning out. It was about fifty different characters, and and that was actually. The thing that got the most praise in the in the actual reviews, because people wanted to hate the game because it was a licensed game, so I would I would argue that it was enjoyable. It wasn't good. It wasn't a, a great game because there was never going to be the budget for that. But it, it was good fun if you're if you're playing through it. And you'll see people. You can find old videos of it on the internet of people playing it and, and having fun. But uh, we really wanted to have t-shirts with all the really negative statements on them because some of them were hilarious my favorite one that always i remember was like cruising down a highway of feces so that was beautiful <laughs> <laughs> just, i just wanted like, a mammy vice t-shirt but it also has just the bad things that people said about it, <laughs> it was, there, was a, there was a good dark dark sense of humor uh, around the the projects that we worked on because we gave them all code names unofficially because, yeah, everyone tried their hardest, but 
uh, most of the things were they were they were medium to low budget games, so they they could never be as polished as we wanted them to be. So we gave them all very negative nicknames, even though we, we were working to try and make them as best as we could within the time available. But for example, that that was Miami Shite. We just gave them like really crude nicknames and and, and, and mega pants and, and various things like that. But th- those were internal, obviously. We never talked about those. <laughs> And we always got in trouble from, from management for, for using those terms. It's like, you should be proud of what you're doing. It's like, we are proud of what we're doing because of all the work we're putting in, but you don't get... We just, we have just a dark sense what about. the hell this is. Yeah. <laughs> we're proud of our work. We only realize that our work is going to do so much here. <laughs> that is... Uh... That is good stuff. That, uh, that that kind of brings up an interesting thing of like how, I mean, at that point, the internet was not what it is at this point. Facebook was not there. Twitter was was not there. Or if they were, you they were exclusive. You had to be in college or whatever. I don't I don't remember how Facebook worked or when it came about. It happened at some well, point in time. I think it was um, oh, what was it? Uh, the one that Justin Timberlake's got now. I'm trying to remember the name of it. MySpace, MySpace, oh. yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The MySpace was was yeah. happening at that point in time. That's what it was. Um, it was MySpace was the the big social thing. In, indeed, um, but the the internet can be a very hateful place, and and oftentimes not as colorful as you know and, and humorous as uh, driving down a road of uh, of, yeah. of crap. Um, yeah, you've got to have a sense how, of humor, but there's sure, always but, going to be someone that hates every game, no matter. Oh how yeah, good absolutely. It is. But uh, but just I don't know what what is it like interacting with that? I assume on like a, a daily basis because of the way the internet is. Oh, generally, just uh, it's more fun to react just politely. It's very politely, and they just get wound up. I mean, there's all, there's also going to be someone that hates you, so you just take it with amusement. I mean, if you look at the Living Dungeon. Um, you can actually see if you go to the, the Microsoft um, website about the reviews of it and the people who have given it various numbers of stars, you'll see that the, the most of the stars are five stars. Most people voted five stars. But the second highest number is actually one star. No, it's not four. It goes five, one star, four, three, two. Because most people either love it or hate it. So there's going to be those people... Well, it's a niche game because it's it's a dungeon-crawling board game, and it's not it's not an RPG in the sense that you go and play it and you get more powerful and you can walk over your enemies. It mm-hmm. gets harder as the game gets on. You know, most RPGs, you just get so powerful you can walk over everything. Sure. Uh, and it's not that type of game. The Living Dungeon is a game that requires your brains more than anything. And people seem to think that because it involves dice, if they don't get it and they don't quite understand it, I mean, sure, part of that's probably down to me not understanding engaging people as well as I could in terms of teaching them how to play the game without boring them out into tears <laughs> because there's a lot of a lot of complicated rules uh, and I introduced them. I think I introduced them too slowly in retrospect instead of saying, deal with it, just die lots, which is where people have the the best fun. Like if they play with their friends first rather than playing the first the single player, mm-hmm. most of them, they'll just have a hilarious time not having a clue what they're doing and then they'll slowly work it out and then they'll be as, oh, Right, roll the five dice, but there's lots of different tactics. You can, you can use your dice in any order. You can do different things with them. And they, they start to pick up, and you start to see who's getting better at the game and, and who's going to dominate their their friends. And then what you do is you set the Dungeon Master to go after them, and that's funny. Because then you just, uh, the Dungeon Master just hates them and keeps putting all the monsters at them and turning their title over until they die. So can you do that kind of stuff as a player? 
Like, yes. How, okay. How, yeah. The, 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 it decided it, it is effectively a board game okay. that we converted into a computer game. Um, it was something that I made, and then uh, we played it in the office uh, for about two years while we're doing like the various contract works and stuff. We just played it, uh, and every Friday we, we played it because we thought it was great fun. And then sometimes we played Dead Eggs instead, but that's a different story. And there's someone else who was one of the contractors who came in and he looked at it and said, you guys make video games, why haven't you made this into a video game? And I, I mean, the, the obvious smart arts answer would be to get, say, hey, well, you make us work too hard and you're a crappy contract and don't pay us enough to do it. But that wasn't true at all. We just hadn't made the connection of changing a board game into a video game. So then we kind of did. I mean, when we started off doing our own thing instead of contract work, that's what we did. We made that. Nice. Uh, can can you kind of give us the the rundown of Living Dungeon for for people that haven't heard? Of it? Well, it is a dungeon board game. There are various different modes, and each character has each player has five dice. And depending on which character they choose, they can actually set up whichever dice they want. So it might be a combat dice and a mechanical dice. And there's two generic dice that do a little bit of everything. But they choose two of one and one of another. So it's either combat dice, agility dice, or mechanical dice. Combat stuff, the most straightforward to understand. Lets you kill things, makes it a little harder for you to get killed. Agility dice lets you run really fast, jump over gaps really easy, jump around corners and dodge with people and throw them into holes. And mechanical dice uh, are the probably the most obscure one, um, but they're the second most, I think they're the second most understood actually, because even though they're odd, and they let you actually manipulate the board. Because the board is made up of nine tiles, uh, and each of those has nine squares on them. And you can, with that dice, you can either rotate a tile or flip a tile. And okay. also every, every dice. So, for example, if the whole point of the game is to, if you're playing this basic assassination mode, is to have another player die. So if the three of us were playing, and I was, I was player one, Brian's player two, and you're player three, my job is to kill Brian. Brian's job is to, kill, is to kill you. And your job is to kill me. But the catch is that if you die for any reason, that counts as a kill. So okay. you're chasing after me to kill me, but I don't want you to die. I want you far away from me, but I don't want to let Brian catch you and kill you, and I don't want to kill you if you get too close, because then Brian gets a point. Because that counts so for me. Okay. I can't kill you. I can only kill Brian, and I want to keep you alive, even though you're trying to kill me. And that's the, the simple simple mechanic you get with just three people. You, you end up chasing around each other in circles. As soon as you add a fourth person to even that basic game, the mechanic changes just naturally because there's a fourth person, and I'm trying to kill Brian, and Brian's trying to kill you, but my relationship to you is entirely neutral. So we might buddy up for a while until it gets near the end of the game, in which case I don't care what you're doing. I want to get my kill and win the game because you're not actually in my team. Sure. So it, it changes again. And again, if you add another player, the dynamic changes again with, with cross paths of who should ally with whom. Uh, that's the basic assassination mode. There, there are other modes as well. One of them is very straightforward to understand, which is escape. You just have to get from one side of the board to the other side of the board, and there's five boards in that version. And that sounds really easy, but you all start on the same side, and every time you die, you get knocked back three tiles. So it actually becomes ridiculously hard, especially if the, the DM AI is set up to 
kill whoever's leading. So whoever's <laughs> winning. That's the, actually the default setting. It, it tries to go after the person who's winning okay. and, and take them out. So it's, it's nicer to the people who are getting their ass handed to them. It just lets them off and says, ah, you don't need any monsters. You're falling down holes by yourself. So you, you can very easily get killed by having too many monsters next to you. That Then you die at the end of your turn. If you're in a hole or in a wall at the end of your turn, you die. If you ever end your turn covered by uh, a big mass of darkness that encompasses a whole tile, you die. If you ever stand in line of a robotic eye kind of thing that fires a big fireball, well, a big beam of fire, you die. And if you ever touch something called a shadow for any reason at all, oh, you can probably guess. You, you die. Well, Some people guess sunshine and flowers, but yeah, you die. <laughs> If you touch the shadows, you win, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> I'm afraid the shadows touch you rather inappropriately. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, a great, it's a great great, party game. And you can, you can play it with actually up to nine people if one person's the DM, because one person can play the DM if they want and just pick on whoever they like. Oh, wow, uh, that's cool. It, it's also drop in and drop out. So if you're playing, say, a six-player game and someone comes over to your house... They can say, I'm going to take over the DM and start messing with Frank because he's been an asshole lately. Uh, they just do that. They just jump in, and the next time it's the DM's go, they take over and start playing. Uh, for the same same reason, if you need to go to the toilet suddenly because you ate a bad burrito, then you can switch your character onto AI and run away and then come <laughs> back, and hopefully no one will notice. That's, that is pretty cool. Um, so I, I assume locally it's it would be up to, what, four players? On you know, one no, device, or because we specifically out. designed it as well. It's, it's on the Xbox and PC. We specifically designed okay. it so that there are no interrupts. The turns are very short; they're they're two minutes maximum. If you run out of time, which is a common thing, people are trying to figure out what to do with their five actions, and it gets very intense, especially towards the end of the game, where every move could be fatal. Uh, so you you really panic and you're trying to, and other people are always trying to put you off if they're in the room with you, trying to say, oh, why did you go over here? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And obviously, it's all lies. It's all lies to get you killed. So they, so it gets very tense and it goes around pretty quickly. So we just uh, made it so you can pass a controller around. It. It's, it's that simple. You just need one controller, one copy of the game. You can just pass okay. it around all your friends in the room. Gotcha. Obviously, if you're playing online, everyone needs a console. Otherwise, it's sure. kind of hard sure. to interact. That would be like shipping the the console or, or your computer or whatever back and forth between people would probably yeah. be not the best way to play um, that game. It'd go very slowly, I assume. Um, but that uh, that is cool. That that is out um, now, and it's it's been out for like a, a year and a half uh, for people to pick up on. You said PC getting, and Xbox One. Yeah, getting getting close to a year and a half. It had a big update um, a few months ago where we added in the online multiplayer because that was the most requested feature. Okay. <laughs> that actually took us like it only took us four attempts to get it through uh, onto Xbox from from that from the first try. But to add the multiplayer, uh, mm-hmm. the levels of complexity adding that, it took us nineteen attempts. <laughs> it was horrific. Oh, wow. It's very 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 strange because obviously Microsoft they want people to well apart from the Red Ring of Death obviously they want people <laughs> to have a very very streamlined nice experience. So if anything goes wrong, uh, the general idea is you have to handle it in a pleasant way so mm. you, you, they do allow some things going wrong they, they, do, they want you to make it perfect obviously but they, they do I mean probably for financial reasons but they do care about their customer base in that respect so they say no you can't release something that's just full of bugs and terrible we don't want it unless you're a huge company obviously and then you're allowed to just go yeah yeah people will buy it anyway uh, we just want to bypass all that we'll fix it in patches later 
But yeah, it took, it took us a while to get that right. But now we know how to do it, we should be fine with the next one. Nice. That is uh, that is fantastic. But you, you guys also have a uh, another game currently kind of in, in the works right now, and that uh, that is Dead Exit. Yes, uh, that's it. Uh, I was going to say it was a similar game, but that would be a total <laughs> lie. It's completely different. <laughs> it, it's it's a card game. It's it's a bit more casual. Uh, you play it with a bunch of friends. It, it's supposed to be casual, but sometimes it gets very intense with two people just deciding they want to kill each other. The whole premise of that is if anyone watches The Walking Dead and you remember the bit in the first season where they're all outside Atlanta in a little camp, well, the basic idea is it's a card game that simulates a little camp outside the city and each player has their own little camp. And the the resources of the city are dwindling and you have to effectively do things to get resources from the city and get enough resources to, to escape. So you need, depending on what the settings are, you generally need like you need a vehicle and then you need food and fuel for your vehicle and survivors so basically the person that has the most food fuel and survivors wins that's it in its most simplest terms again there are lots of catches because your base every like survivor card for example you can play them inside your base and they do one thing it says on the card each character does something different for example the the seductress she can move someone else from inside to outside their base, which is useful as a knock-on for other people. And inside the base is fairly safe and not aggressive, generally speaking. So if you play something inside your base, you're usually not pissing off another player. Okay. And then you play something outside your base that's more dangerous, but more powerful generally, and usually more aggressive. The seductress, not so much. She copies another person's ability. So if, if there's another man outside another base she can copy their ability which is effectively just her going hey look at the boobies could you do something for me please and that that person would effectively use their ability for you <laughs> the third the third thing that you can do which is the most powerful is sacrifice that character in a heroic sacrifice kind of way uh, and that will kill the character usually there are some exceptions to that but it'll do something particularly powerful uh, the seductress is actually one of the few characters who does not sacrifice she gets to do something better than that, which is she steals a man from someone else, so you're immediately pissing off some other player because you've just stolen one of their characters. <laughs> and then she goes into the stockpile, basically retires because she doesn't need to do anything because she's got a good man to look after. That, that sounds horrendously sexist, but it's not. It's just one of the characters. <laughs> but that's, she's, she's using what she's got. <laughs> it's a zombie apocalypse. You're going to do what exactly. you can. Exactly. You've got you to find a way to survive. She knows what she's got. That's you know, the, the other. The other main thing that you will be doing is, because you're trying to get things from the city, one of the actions you can do, you get three actions every turn. So you can play a card, you can bring a card back in from your base, or one of the other things you can do is you can take a card from the city decks, which is basically all the cards that weren't dealt out, you dump them in abstract piles in the middle for everyone, and you can just take a card from any of them. It doesn't matter which one. They don't need to be neatly arranged or anything. Um, So you take a card from them, and you get to keep one card, but the second card is placed face down at your base, and the unfortunate thing about that is every card that is face down is a zombie. It's got a zombie on the back. And quite a few of the cards are actually a zombie on both sides. Sure. So you pick up a card and you've got one that's a zombie. You pick up another one that's a zombie as well. Thankfully, if you pick it up, you, put, you can put it on any base. So you could be really nice to put it on your own base. But most people put it on someone else's base. 
And obviously, if you get too many zombies, your base gets overrun and you lose all your cars and you're basically back to square zero with a, with a few things. So the, the the idea basically is you have to try and manage your base, hopefully not piss off your neighbours until it's time to piss off your neighbours and, and steal everything and run away. Bide your time until it's like, all right, guys, uh, yeah, all the zombies. Yeah, it depends on the attack. Some people just go out on the attack straight away. And we've had some people who who decided that the best tactic is to try and get everyone to die except themselves right at the end. They will sneak a few things into their stockpile at the end and then drive off. And <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. But, the, yeah. but you can team up. You can actually trade cards with your neighbours as well. So you can team up with, with a bunch of people and, and try and play nice for the entire thing. And theoretically, if you all played really nicely and, and worked really well together and didn't do anything stupid, then everyone could get out alive because there are eight vehicles. So technically, it's possible. It never happens. We've never even had four people get out alive. Uh, the, the best we've had is three people, and that's because three of us kind of quietly worked together while the other people were really going at each other and trying to swamp each other with with, with zombies everywhere. Uh, well, we called them dead and that, it's, uh, rather than zombies, but yeah. Well, everything's got a different name for them. But, I mean, honestly, like, at the end of the day, like, it is the zombie apocalypse, for, so nobody really wins. Yeah, people just you're, die. You're leaving one place, but there's there's zombies there. Yeah, there's other cards that you'd expect. Like, there are interrupts, for example, where someone plays something and you go, ha-ha, no, I think I'll steal that card. Uh, so you can make enemies that way and there's also uh, just nasty things called events which are pretty much landmines you uncover one of those it activates straight away uh, and maybe just loads of zombies come at you or uh, everyone has to put a character in the middle or someone gets a character stolen and dealt into one of the decks uh, and everyone gets pissed off when you land in a land in an event but yeah they, they, there's no kind of formal alliances or anything, you just do whatever you like, backstab anyone whenever you like, and maybe even play nice occasionally. <laughs> play nice yeah. when it benefits you. Um. <laughs> yeah, but that's, we, we've got that, like I said, we've been playing that again for, for a couple of years, just playing that on off. It's, it's a good lap, and we've actually added a, a solitaire mode as well, so you can just play it yourself as well as locally or online. And, and yeah, I should probably mention that that's on green light now. Okay. We'll, we'll have it. We'll have a demo of it soon as well, which we'll probably put on Etch.io because that's a decent place to throw demos for things. Sure. And then people can give it a try themselves and play a few of the game modes and see if it's something they like or despise, loathe with passion. Because <laughs> those are the two options. There, there is yeah, in yeah. between. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure so, there is for this game. This Living Dungeon was a strange one. There's, there's obviously, especially when there's always a Russian guy. There's also a Russian guy who thinks that the game's terrible and that we're really bad people for making it. <laughs> no, it's not just the game's bad. It's like we're terrible people for having made that game. Why, well, obviously? At, le- at least, at least you get the opposite side, which is people coming and saying, "Oh, I really love that game. When's it doing this or when are you doing this with it? Is it coming to PS4 soon?" And like, maybe depends. Uh, I mean, theoretically, it's been said yes to, but we're waiting on admin and paperwork, as always is the case. Mm. Busy people. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so, so in, in Dead Exit, um, do, do you have a setup for the apocalypse? Like, you know, Walking Dead, there, there's no... Like, they don't talk about how this came to be. Just, there are zombies now, deal with it. Do you know how the dead... 
Yes, uh, strange is the kind of thing I do. I work out all of these details, even though Fantastic. they're not Fantastic. Awesome. I work out all of the details. It's it's actually a horrific parasite. It was it was partly engineered to deal with other problems, but it obviously mutated, and it doesn't just affect you when you're dead and you come back to life. It affects you subconsciously um, while you're while you're alive. Um, so. If you get enough of an infection, you can actually, like, one bite doesn't necessarily kill you. You can kill it with antibiotics if you're lucky. You okay. don't necessarily have to right. lop off. So you could get bitten and survive with this one if your immune system's strong enough. But the problem is that if you're infected and the infection does spread, you don't necessarily notice it until it's too late because um, you've probably heard of parasites that, say, if you've been watching Legion, there's a, there's one right there where the, you know, the ant that gets a parasite in its head that climbs up a tree unwillingly. And then, obviously, its head explodes at that point. Uh, so I have not watched Legion yet, but I, I have heard of that. And yeah, like, but there's, there's various parasites that make yeah. people behave. Or people who are cat people, you don't know whether they genuinely like cats or they've got that cat parasite in their head. That uh, makes them people like that like cats only have that parasite. There's no such thing as actually liking cats. That's, that's not real. So it's hard to prove, yeah. <laughs> But the, Sorry, the Brian, you're, the, you're parasites, the parasite is real. I, no, listen. We just don't know the exact effects on people. We, we might have three cats in this house, but everybody has turned on those cats. We're <laughs> <laughs> not kidding anymore. That's, when these cats die, that is the end of the line. There's, there's nothing. <laughs> got a lot of lives to go through. You've probably. been taking your antibiotics. That's going to be right. Yes, my roommate takes great care of all of them, but even she's like, no, they, these are the last ones. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, this this parasite it gets into people, and and before they know it, they start doing strange things. Like they will unconsciously just bite someone, and they wouldn't know why, or they'll scratch people because the parasite wants to spread. Uh, and the parasite it, it effectively mimics parts of the body with it, what's a glowing green goo. So if you damage it, then it'll try and grow replacements for that. So even shooting, once they've got enough of the effectively green goo inside them, shooting them in the head's not even going to kill them because they can replace the parts. It'll slow them down for a while, but it, it wouldn't kill them. So yeah. there's, there's various nasty things that happen. Uh, like replacing body parts, like an eye will pop out and, and rot away, but the the green parasite will effectively fill up that hole. So do you, it, you do like take them trolls and just burn them? Yeah, you can, you, can, you can burn them. You can do enough damage to them that they can't go anywhere. If they don't have, obviously, like any living creature, if they don't have enough energy to replenish what they've lost, then they can't do anything about it. They, they eventually die in a, in a lump, but they, they do effectively hibernate. So instead of like going around and groaning and moaning like you'd expect zombies to do, they don't. They're completely silent and they just stand there until one of their little particles that they fire out hits something and, and sends back and sends a reply effectively. And so if you go in with an ultraviolet light, you'll actually see, like, if there's an area where they are, it's just the walls are covered and all the little bits of glowing green. And, and like I said, when people are alive, as the virus, well, not the virus, the parasite takes over them, they start doing effectively disgusting things that they didn't realize they were capable of. Uh, one of the, the more disgusting one is if somebody is wounded, they will obviously approach them, but they will involuntarily vomit into the wound if they can to try and spread more parasites. Like I said, none of that stuff, it's all like horrific, but none of that stuff's in the game. I just needed to work out how everything was going to function if it were a real thing. Sure. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. That's 
also disgusting and sounds terrible, but uh, that that is great. Um, so so you mentioned that the uh, you've added solitaire uh, mode to it. There's there's obviously multiplayer. Um, there there's both online and um, like local and multiplayer. Local. Okay. Yes. And how how many people can actually play this at one time? Eight. Eight. Okay. Like I said, in, in theory, they could all win. It, it's right. never happened. But we put in an achievement to say, like, okay, someone has to make it happen, get eight, eight people to actually work together and all win, and you can sure. get an achievement. I'm sure somebody will do that. Um, you also get an achievement if everyone dies except you. <laughs> so you can go for one or the other. They're the two Why extreme ones. Uh, not nice. in one game you can... Now, does it function kind of similar to... Um... Uh, Living Dungeon, and that, like, uh, are you... Or is, is this... Where is this coming out on? You said it's on Greenlight. Um, is it, is it yeah, just PC should, right now, or do you It's have... just PC right now. Should okay. be Xbox as well. It's, okay. In theory, yes, it's one of those things, but you never know so, until it's actually on the platform. You, you never know for sure. sure. It's, um, it currently functions on the Xbox. We have it built and running on the Xbox. Uh, pretty okay. much completed. Awesome. Uh, except for getting the events running, but we need a new... It's what's called a sandbox setup and such. So it depends on a few things. But in theory, yes, Xbox. Okay. So so would multiplayer, uh, local multiplayer, work kind of the same way of passing the controller, or how... Yeah, with local multiplayer, you pass the controller. Okay. Uh, you, the interrupts don't need to interrupt in that, in that mode. We've changed them slightly so that you can just do them afterwards when you get to your turn, mm. and they'll still have an effect. But yeah, they... they Difference is, I mean, a local multiplayer is great for when you're playing, either when you're playing t- together, so you all want to win, because it's hard enough to stay alive as it is, or if you're playing to learn, because you can see the cards of everyone, obviously when it's their turn, but you can't, if you're playing online, you mm-hmm. can't see what the other people have in their deck, which is far more competitive. Sure. But yeah, local, local's a bit friend there. <clears throat> so you can see exactly how your friends are going to screw you over. <laughs> Before it happens. Uh, nice. That's the best kind because you know you get a chance to. Oh my god, dude! Really? That way you see it coming. Yeah, but we're nearly finished. I mean, we're at a stage where we're testing and polishing, and we've, like I said, we've got to add the achievements for for Steam. But you need to get through green light before you can add the achievements in Steam, and we need to get all our paperwork and our admin stuff sorted out before we can add the achievements on the Xbox. But the gameplay as it is. Just iron out a couple of bugs, uh, playing it again and again, testing it, and adding a little bit of polish. Sure. Do you guys have a uh, uh, do you have a projected uh, release window for it? Or no, no, we're we're absolutely terrible at business. We have no <laughs> such thing. We get it ready as soon as possible, but we are relying on, on some other people. We. We're doing bits and bobs on it to make it nicer and polish it, but we're not working on it full time anymore. Okay. Uh, we're we're busy on our, our next project, uh, which is to, that's the one of the spaceships is, which is one of the reasons my entire desk here is covered in little tinfoil models of spaceships, with them making those. And that that one we you can see a very very early version of that one is actually on Greenlight. We put it on Greenlight and then they like, didn't tell anyone about it or anything. And okay. it's got a really weird it's got a really weird name, so you'll never be able to find it either. <laughs> it's called the the Cruiser Parallax, and we just we did it as an experiment. Um, well, yeah, it was, it was basically I I was I wanted to code something with rotations effectively, so I got lots of little ships 
and, I, and decided that instead of flying one ship, you would fly a squad of ships. So it's it's full 3D. It's it's, but you don't play in first person. You play in third person, like the like the old Rogue Squadron games. Okay. So you're playing, but you're controlling, say, the entire Gold Squadron. You're controlling at least five ships. In the demo, you're controlling five ships, and you fly those ships, and you change their formation, and you go and attack or defend, depending which side you choose. And we we took a demo of that. We we just made a bit of it and thought, oh well, we might as well do something with it. So then I effectively handed it over to Chantel, who looked at my code, vomited a little bit in her mouth, and then we we did it all. <laughs> At least she didn't do that on an open wound. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's when you know something's wrong. Uh, so, yeah, we took we took it. We made a, a demo in about a month, which looks we made it look very Star Warsy, very Star Warsy. It looks like a, a cross between a, a Z nine five, if you know that ship, and a and a Viper from Battlestar Galactica, the old Vipers. To be fair, it's, it's based on Ralph McQuarrie rather than Star Wars, but everyone associates Ralph McQuarrie with Star Wars, so. People just say, "Oh, it's Star Warsy," and it's like, "Yeah, it was, it's supposed to be instantly recognisable to get people to come over." But obviously, it's all changed. If you look at the the Greenlight page, you can see we've been putting up some of the newer ships, which we've moved away from Star Wars, obviously, because we don't actually want to look like Star Wars. The whole idea of making it look like Star Wars was to because we're making it very moddable, is so that other people go, "Oh, I can make this kind of thing with it. You can do that with it." And then someone will make me a Battlestar Galactica mod, and I'll be happy for the rest of my life. <laughs> But yeah, we're basically rebuilding that much nicer because we took it to EGX and we got a great response from that. Loads of people picking up, and even there, there was there was a good few people who they were they played a lot of Elite Dangerous and such, and they they tried to do it and they failed the mission. And then there was this little five year old girl who came along and she did it right in front of them. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Just flew circles and then took them out. But yeah, that that one's actually in green light as well. And that's called that's called the Cruiser Parallax. Fantastic. It gets it gets it gets more interesting as well because we did it as uh, I'm really bad for this because the dead exit was a social experiment as well to see if people could work together instead of killing each other. And the answer is no, they can't. <laughs> yeah. But this this is a. I appreciate that you felt you needed to put an experiment together to find well, that yeah, out. Well, yeah, we did the same with the the Cruiser Parallax has its own website. Which is it's a bit out of date, but the basics are still there. I'll need to update it with the new ships and such. But the the basic premise of it is still there. You go onto the splash page and you have to choose just from one of the stupid symbols, and one kind of looks like the rebel symbol, and one kind of looks like the empire symbol. And the whole idea is to get people's biases and to play up people's biases. And they click through, and I don't want to spoil too much, but it tells you depending on which side you click through, and both sides do the same thing, it tells you about themselves and it tells you about the enemy and you can say if you want to join them or go back. And let's say the, the vast majority of people join whichever one they look at. So, and like I said, it, so they're, you, they're not, they're well, not actually describing... They first, they're like, oh, this is fine. They're not actually describing the same thing. They, they're both yeah, describing themselves the and the... And how they see opponents. the enemy, yeah. So both sides do that. Like I said, you, you can go on, it's, it is just thecruiserparallax.com, and you can see how it works. But basically there's a description, and a lot of people, they don't look, because we all grew up with our daft biases. Sure. Of what we think. And, and so the, most people, they get into whatever one they like, the, the ship or they like the symbol, and they read the biased information, and they don't realize that it's biased information. They think they've just got simple good guys and bad guys. And most people 
pick whichever one they read first because like oh you're obviously the good guys the other guys are the the bad guys so I'm going to go with these guys um, so it, it really depends on your daft political beliefs it's not simple left or right or anything because that would be boring um, so they, they both fantastic. have their, their interesting place and I, you can't say even throughout the game story which I'm not going to divulge but you, you can't really decide well you, you can decide for yourself who you think the good guys and the bad guys are because they both go to war for for reasons and you can say that some particular group within one side are bad guys and they didn't but they're, they needed to be defended by the other guys so it just escalated and then I, I do what I do with a, a lot of things is that I decide a lot of the, the world and the universe stuff after the mechanics obviously the mechanics are the first thing and then when I'm building up the universe I use dice rolls for everything I don't because I don't have any particular political ideology or anything so it dice rolls deciding things and if something comes out incredibly racist I don't care because that's what the dice it just randomly happened that way <laughs> don't blame me blame your racist so, yeah so I'll come up with, with, with various things I mean the Living Dungeons is a good example of that because I I rolled for the setting and it turns out and it's in some place and because I was rolling D100s and most people are kind of half Greek half Arab in their race just just the way it turned out. Apart from the ones that are lizards, obviously. They're they're not not so much. But yeah, there's just a whole bunch of daft races. But in this one, it, sometimes the rolls come out really strange. Um, and I got a maximum for the size of the GDU, for example. The GDU is ten times as big as the KTC. So to balance that out and make things work, I had to make KTC have better technology than them and... Uh, it, it ends up being an interesting challenge all of its own. And again, probably no one will care. People will just fly around shooting spaceships going, oh, this is awesome, like they did at the, the AGX. This is great. I'm controlling a whole squad of ships and blasting lasers everywhere. But yeah, I like to have all that detail there because if someone does care and wants to ask, they, they can do it. I mean, even had even had a novel written for The Living Dungeon because a guy, and he was an American guy, he owed me a favour uh, and he decided he was going to write me a novel. And that was great. It was very good, very interesting. Because I gave, I gave, I gave him some daft rules he had to follow, um, <laughs> such as, yeah, because every time he had to write it from eight different characters, because it's an eight-player game, he wrote the the story from eight different characters' perspectives, and he wasn't allowed to decide who were main characters and who weren't. They all had to have even building, you know, kind of like Game of Thrones. They all had to have even building, so he didn't know who the main characters were, and I wouldn't tell him that. Um, all I would do would be roll a dice at the end of one of the sets of chapters to decide which character died. So it goes through, <laughs> and each time some character has to die in the next set of chapters, and it goes through, so you never know. So they always have to be in a tense situation, effectively. The, I don't know why the poor guy still talks to me. But <laughs> they always have to be in a difficult situation because they could end up dying in their next chapter. So they always have to get into that situation. And then obviously in the last set of chapters, where there's only four of them alive, uh, you roll the dice and any of them could die, or all of them could die, cause, and then he has to just deal with it and end the story as that goes. <laughs> but it turned, it turned out to be a fantastic a fantastic read, so I was very happy with that. I don't know if anyone's actually read it. I, we had it with, we gave it to test audiences and such and, and got great feedback from them. Didn't need to change anything, because a lot of people were upset when their favourite character got killed, but, you know, tough. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to change the story because someone got upset because one of the characters got killed. It's, it's just the way it is. That is 
That is fantastic. That's, that sounds very like a, much the Game of Thrones way. That sounds like a, just a, a fun exercise for for creative writing. Just start rolling dice to see who dies. That's um, that was great. It, it made sense because it was yeah. based on the board game story. So yeah. just roll the dice, see who died. That is good stuff. Well, Brian, uh, do you have any more questions before we jump into the end game? No, we can we can get right to it. All, All right. right. So we like to we like to end with a bit of a questionnaire uh, that's more focused on you than on uh, anybody else, uh, or you know, even the studio itself. Um, uh, the questions are are difficult. Uh, be prepared to think. Uh, we'll make it seem like you're answering them right away. We'll kind of do all that in post. It's very, very fun work. Uh, but first question: um, Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Who's your favorite good guy or antihero or you know whoever you play? There are a lot of good ones. Um, I, I always go for the silent types. Um, see, Samus Aran is a great one before Other M. As long as you ignore Other M, Samus Aran's great. Yes. I think most yes. people do, so that's... Uh, that's fine, yeah, yeah. So just assume that that one's ignored. Samus Aran's probably one of my favorites. Okay. Well, other than that, it's, it's faceless people all the time. That's totally fair. And yes, I, absolutely. Ignoring Other M, yeah, 100%. Um, flip it I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. There are loads of really interesting characters that I do like that are characters. And I like Samus because she is both a silent protagonist and a good character. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I asked you for one. That's, that's okay. You're paying, you're paying attention. Uh, flipping the coin. Um, who's your favorite antagonist? Who's your favorite bad guy? Mm, that's a much harder question. Yes. Yes. I, I enjoy this one a lot more. See, my my brain wants to say Sethroth, but it's not. I don't I don't particularly care about Sethroth at all. But it's, it's he's memorable. Got a good look, but he's kind of it's memorable from my upbringing, yeah. Sethroth. Uh, I'd have to go actually from for, and it's not because of the character. I'd have to go for the the bad guy, the antagonist, who I don't even know his name. He's just some general from Assault Suits Falcon, the old SNES game, Cybernator. Because that was, again, that was a game that I grew up playing a lot. So you had to go, and it was just a big guy and a big robot, and you got to him, and he was taking off, going into space, and if he managed to do that, he would fire a bunch of missiles. So you had to fly up after him, shooting loads of lasers at him. It was great fun. But that, that's always been memorable. He's not so much an anagon as just a boss. Just a random general. Yeah, just a random guy who's the enemy. And needed to have his face melted with a laser. <laughs> Sometimes those make the greatest enemies. Yep. Uh, question number three. Um, uh, are there any uh, trends in video games today that you feel are, are uh, too small that more people should be paying attention to and even, and even trying to copy? No. Absolutely not. Um, as far as I'm concerned... Um, perhaps some of the biggest trends should be a bit smaller to open up a little bit of noise for all the smaller ones, but I, I wouldn't want to single out any particular thing because there's so many great things, and I play a lot of variety. Uh, so if the things I make are niche generally, I mean, the Cruiser Parallax isn't. That's, that's a big space adventure with lots of laser flying everywhere, and it's all action-packed, so that's not niche. But the other games, there's a board game and a card game, and then before that, there was, there was Boomba, which was a super popular web game, but we don't make any money from that because it's free. 
which was worms meets Angry Birds. Like if Angry Birds and worms had sex, they had a baby. That would be Boomba, basically. <laughs> and and before that, it was Newton that is versus- horrific. Oh my god! Yeah, there was Newton versus the Horde, which was a daft physics adventure where you throw little old spread bottles and then light bulbs and then the Wii version at people, which is the, that's a really terrible story on its own. Uh, and then there was. Uh, one of the ones we just made for fun recently was The Unseen Evil, where you're in a little house, you're a woman who walks into a Victorian house full of other ladies, one of them's the vampire, you've got to work out which one it is by planting clues, which is basically like blood files or, or garlic, and the, the vampire, as well as a random number of guests, will move to, towards that or away from that, and you can also hear heartbeats very faintly, so you have to try and whittle down who is the vampire and stab them, which is again totally different from those things and and then the first game I actually coded was a game called uh, Bullet Trap, which was that was really well reviewed. I mean, people loved that. I got a nice review on my site saying this game kicks ass, which is someone someone said about that. And again, that was just that that was a weird bullet hell game where you couldn't move. Well, within reason. So yeah, I, I would say no. I, I don't want to. I don't want to see. There's no particular trend I want to do because I like to do different games. And yeah, Living Dungeon probably will get a sequel because I've actually designed a sequel, but building is a separate thing, but I've designed the mechanics for a sequel and how they can make it similar but different enough that it's interesting. But no, there's there's nothing, no trend that I want to see. I want to see things that I've never heard of, I've never played. And I, I play a lot of games, and I do play a lot of mainstream games. I'm a little bit behind at the moment because... I'm playing Mirror's Edge is currently. Hmm. Uh, so so far, I prefer the original. I have to admit. But generally, what I want to play is something I haven't played before. I've I've got guilty pleasures such as the the Uncharted series. There's nothing mechanically special about the Uncharted series, but it's beautifully polished. It's it's a marvelous, best vanilla ice cream I've ever had kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and then. <laughs> And another another guilty pleasure is Castlevania style games, the little two D scrolling ones where you just like waste hours wandering around rooms, collecting slightly better power ups and then hitting things. I can waste my time playing those easily. So yeah, an absolute no to that question. There's nothing or 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 everything. You can take nothing or everything from that. I want to well, see everything more. I want to see things que- I haven't seen before. The next question flips it then, and it asks you if there's anything that needs to go away. To be honest, I don't think so. Things tend to naturally die off after a while. I mean, sure, some of the big, huge names, they get a bit stale. Uh, but it sorts itself out, and you can't do anything about the massive marketing power of huge companies. The next Call of Duty, no matter what people think of it, will sell millions, and it will be over every billboard everywhere. True. And yeah, I do still. I don't have recent ones, but I do enjoy playing them when I do play them. It's, it's fine; they're not bad games as such. So I, I think they'll sort themselves out. Well, I hope they will. I mean, that's that's obviously. Every indie developer wants people to like pay a bit more attention to what they're doing. You don't you don't need twenty million sales to to survive, but if you get ten thousand sales or or if you get a hundred thousand sales, then that's great. You can fund your next game quite happily, and you don't have to go scrounging through the bins for scraps to eat. So again, my answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> I've never gotten no's for these. This is fantastic. Uh, next question. You cannot answer this one no. Um, no. <laughs> if you were yeah, right, if you had the chance 
um, to do anything else with no restrictions, any other profession, uh, what else would you like to try? Oh, um, fighter, um, fighter plane engineering. That would be the obvious <laughs> choice. I mean, engineering or piloting? Um, do you want to build them or you want to I fly? would like to do both. What I was invited to do by the Air Force was to go into engineering because that's where my strengths were. Uh, I'd never done any flying, so I don't know if I'll be good at it or not. Um, in terms of actual real-world jobs, that's probably a good one. I'm okay, you see, because I'm, I'm happy when I'm creating things or destroying things. Anything else in between, not that fussed about. So so if it was anything social, for example, like I wouldn't the, care. The, the Scottish Shiva, yeah. creation and destruction. That's pretty much how it goes. And, and when I, if I was making technology for airplanes that would blow people up, then I'm creating something that will destroy things. <laughs> so that's the best of both worlds. But I, I almost went down that route and then went down to product design and engineering and then moved on to video games. It just went off on a tangent, as you do with your life normally. So, yeah, that, that would be it if it was real-world stuff, obviously. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, if you Next question. If you got the chance to play any game again for the first time, what would it be? Ooh... That, see, that's a difficult one because I could see that about so many games. Any game, if I play something for the first time, it's like nothing I've ever played before. That's always amazing. Um, ooh. I could go for a good word for Cybernator again, or also known as Assault Suits Falcon, but I wouldn't. I will pick something def. I'll go for N. N. The uh, Ninja Platformer? Yeah. Okay. Because I broke two keyboards playing that. <laughs> that. Yep, that'll do it. Yeah, there, there are lots of other games that yeah would be fantastic, but if I had to pick one off the top of my head, it's a good choice. That's fine. All right. I like that. I like when people say stuff that nobody said before, and N is definitely one that nobody's mentioned before for that. Uh, I imagine most people would probably go for the big blockbusters like Final Fantasy 7 or something but you know there's, there's plenty there's plenty of other games like that it's not I mean obviously it's a unique life experience for people who were raised on that game but it's not hugely different from some of the other Final Fantasy games and such but N, N was a very different experience for me from most of the platforms I played up until that point because you slid everywhere like a lunatic <laughs> and get shot by myself Okay, final question. Um, this is a weird one. Uh, at the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is there with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you inside? Here's an infinite quantity of stars. Thank you very much. <laughs> you just go around destroying everything, and I'd be having happy, crazy music playing the entire time. High as a kite, running through the Mushroom Kingdom, just blowing things up as I ran through it. I wonder what happens if you if you destroy things in the after the Pearly Gates version of the Mushroom Kingdom. Do they respawn? We're um, probably just rebuilding automatically, so that, that's why you get to do the infinite loop. Yeah, because you're like, what did I just hear? Ah, oh, who cares? Boom! Just run around really fast, making everything explode around me. Yep. That's it. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you very much. You have passed this test, Jonathan. Please tell him what he's won. 
Well, Graham, thank you so much. You win our eternal love and respect, uh, both for answering the questions truthfully and for staying awake this whole time. We did not have to edit you out snoring even once. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, but yeah, that, that does it for the, the interview. Thank you so much for joining us. If you could uh, send us out, though, by letting the listeners know where they can go uh, to find out more info um, about Living Dungeon and Debt Exits and uh, and I forgot the name of, of the other one. Cruiser? The Cruiser Parallax. Cruiser Parallax. There like, we go. Right. If, you, if you go to www. or www. You don't even need to put that anymore. No. You I, just start out. Yeah. yeah. But radiationburn.net then on the front page it's just got a nice little picture where you can click on things and go to various games that, that'll that teach you everything I should probably update the dead exit page to link to the the actual the actual uh, green light but yeah I'll do that tomorrow but, uh, but yeah and, and those are on uh, or the the two uh, newest ones are on green light for people to go check out and vote for and uh, yeah thank you again good luck as you guys kind of finish up development on uh, Dead Exit and continue with uh, the Cruiser Parallax cheers got two hours sleep last night and then I, me- I meant to go home and have a nap earlier but I get called out at the last minute for a badminton match for the, the town to play badminton so I've been running around that's why that's the only reason I'm awake because I had enough adrenaline flowing <laughs> through me I'll be going for the next few hours it'll be fine yes that is true we cannot uh, edit that out but I'm yeah, sure all, that all will other make... past mistakes in your life just don't get <laughs> That will make the podcast that much more interesting. Um, yeah, I do, totally, because I, I really want to hear uh, what the life of a walk-on badminton player, player is, uh, is all about. That sounds fantastic. So were they short, were they one, short a man? Or, yeah, how, how did that work? Uh, well, and did you win? Um, yes, yes, I won. Okay, uh, I managed to go to three ends and everything, but I don't know if you know the rules of badminton, but basically you, you hit what's called Not a shuttlecock. Really. We normally that's, just joke about calling it a cock. So that's, yeah. that's where Americans stop. Basically, is you know, <laughs> the, you're hitting a shuttlecock, and then everything else de- de- descends into. Yeah. Oh, it's a cock. Yeah. yeah so I'm sorry. I was I was yeah. thinking about you guys saying the word cock. I went, what what are we talking about now? I was. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, there's, there's endless <laughs> jokes about that. Obviously, the people people generally take it seriously at badminton, but I, I play very casually. So every time, every time we go there, it's all you get. How many cocks did you get in the face and things like that? <laughs> well, it sounds like you had a good time before the interview. Um... Yeah. <laughs> cocks were flying at my face at three hundred miles an hour. It was fantastic. <laughs> now wait, we're not talking about the game yet. We're we're. we're... <laughs> uh, that would be a very bizarre game. Um, a new especially... VR experience. <laughs> Hyper <laughs> Oh, there's probably someone that's, that's done it already. There oh, probably sure. is. Any any medium, porn is the is the <laughs> way forward. That is what drives that. If it's going to be accepted, um, it is because uh, porn has made that uh, that that medium its own. It, it's bitch, if you were. 
It's, uh, it, I'm pretty sure there's actually articles about, like, that's why VHS beat out Betamax and why Blue, one of the main reasons Blu-ray beat out HD DVD, because uh, porn was there first. Um, the 3D just... video didn't survive. There was porn in that. <laughs> that's... I guess, I guess well, I didn't say, I didn't think everything would take off. <laughs> uh, that's the wrong way around, just, like, take off everything. That's true, that's, that's you know... And you get to watch it real close in VR, because that's what you do. <laughs>